At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash grad school. Wait, what? Really? Okay. Okay. With your host, Lauren Weissman. This is a fully licensed theme song for the show about stuff that makes you say, Wait, what? Really? Okay. Why should you listen to Ed Verner about music, business, and life? Episode 36. We're getting paid for this fully licensed theme song For the show about stuff that makes you say Wait, what? Really? Okay You know what the worst thing about political jokes is? They usually end up getting elected If you're listening to this live or listening to it on Monday, it's over tomorrow. Or is it? Well, before we go into conspiracy theories or anything else, this is not a podcast about politics. I'm going to repeat, this is not a podcast about politics. This is business and branding and people, examples and things to listen to, look at and consider. Episode 36 of Wait, What Really Okay is Why Should You Listen to Ed Verner About Music, Business and Life? Also, at the same time, this is why you shouldn't be listening to half the people that you think you might or that you think you should be. In a world right now, and I've got Ed Werner right here, but we're going to do the nice long intro for him. In a world where so many people have become the overnight experts, they've become the coaches, the consultants, the life coach. That word still irks me. I'm being nice. This is on iHeartRadio and what we have set up. I'm not going for the crazy language, so we'll just leave it at irks. These people have had zero to no experience, limited experience, or a linear experience where they do one thing, and now they know how to present concepts about business, about success, about money, for everything in the world. It's BS. Yeah, we can get BS in. That doesn't get us in trouble. Does that get past the censors? (laughs) (laughs) When you look at certain people that have had experiences, when you look at people that have succeeded and failed in different areas, and when you listen to the ideas and approaches of someone that can give you advice that can fit anywhere and has the consideration of a wider array of examples, of budgets, of timelines, of success and of failure, that's something or that's someone to listen to. That's why you should listen to Ed Werner about music, business, and life. Now, as a musician, not the highest success, we're not gonna we're, we're not gonna paint it <laughs> too pretty here. But his approach to music, his approach to songwriting, his love of this craft, of this thing that has traversed past a hobby, but also ties into what he's been doing inside of business, what he's been doing inside of life. It was funny, and we're about to introduce him. Ed contacted me a couple weeks ago about an autobiography. And the first thing that I thought to myself was... Why in the hell would I read his autobiography? (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) Exactly. But to sit back, the more I thought about it, what a great book it's going to be. Now, it doesn't mean that he's super famous, but the experiences, successes, and knowledge that he has that goes... uh, It spans an array of worlds. 
is information that can help you regardless of what world you're in. So after a very long intro, thank you for being well, you're here. You're kind of famous for long intros, aren't you? <laughs> well, it gets back to the, uh, my dad, as a physician, when he trained as a doctor, he laughed. He, he was originally an endocrinologist, but then he de-specialized. And he laughed at me and he said, I, I really wanted to know the whole body. I didn't just want to know the endocrine system. And that's kind of one of those things that joke about, you know, you can specialize and become a real expert on one thing. And that has its place in this world. I mean, if you break your big toe, you're going to want the best big toe doctor there is in the world to mess with your big toe. But then again, it's nice to have a doctor who knows the whole body every now and then. And that's kind of one of the things my dad was taught me. And that old joke about, you know, gee whiz, doc, I hope, I hope you can treat what I've got. And then the doctor, the specialist, the big-time specialist says, well, gee whiz, honey, I hope you've got what I know how to treat. <laughs> and how often do they really meet? You know, versus sometimes you're, you have problems that are a real huge, deep knowledge about one subject may not apply to another subject at all. So I'm kind of a, you know, my dad used to say, you're going to grow up and be a jack of all trades. And I told my dad, no, dad, if I live long enough, I can try to become an expert at everything. But it just takes a long, long, long time. You know, in a, in a world with, with these people that just immediately they see one thing and then they, they can just share everything and they've got every answer and they can grab every quote or they can put a cute little picture oh, yeah. on a graphic. I've met a lot of know-it-alls I wouldn't trust with a potato gun. And it's sad but true. They may know a lot about their one thing. And if that's what you need, great. But it's sometimes the arrogance that goes with it can be really obnoxious because they've become an expert on... I don't know, precision bearings or how to play a pinball game. It does not necessarily mean that it's going to apply to everything else in their life. And I don't know why. I mean, maybe maybe you have a better grasp on this. People are so hungry for these curbside profits, these overnight experts. They want to, they want to hear that all it takes is this or they don't want to look into somebody's success or vet them or do their due diligence and they just... It's, I'm going to believe, I'm going to follow this. And most of the time, they lose their shirt, their time, their money. Yeah, the, the quick fixes are seductive. And, you know, the idea that, oh, gee whiz, uh, my whole life up to now has been this. But if only I'd done this one thing, wow, I could have been wildly successful. And that, that's very seductive. A lot of times, your life coaches, your people that say, hey, I've got the answer to your problem. If you'll just buy my book or if you'll just listen to my, my advice. And yet a lot of times uh, the people I've gotten the most excellent advice from frequently are soft-spoken. They may or may not be advertising their, their world, but they, you encounter those kind of mentors along the way. And somewhere along the line you realize, oh, my God, this person was an undiscovered, perfect answer to where I am right now and what I need to do next. So I don't know why the self-help guys that are the one-nighters, <laughs> they seem to be so flash in the pan and yet when they're flashing in the pan it's pretty amazing to watch like watching a train wreck you know? it is like watching a train wreck though it's like I, I can't i can't keep it turned on anymore i see this and then i look at the audiences mm -hmm. or uh, i mean there was one person with all whatever respect can be handed to tony robbins there was one person that said that she went to three different tony robbins events and traveled to follow him and then wanted to talk about working with me and i said i don't think i'm your guy <laughs> I, I, mean, I feel like there's this motivation without information. But tying into the information, the background, the experience, 
and why people should listen to you and why I listen to you. I don't know why. Lord. <laughs> I, it's sort of like the, the music side of it. I, I enjoy making music and I make music that I'm very proud of. And yet I'm not wrapped up in the idea of, did I sell 10,000 copies last month? Yeah, I'd love it if I did. Gee whiz, it'd make it better for me to make even more. But I'm still making what I want to make in the in the process that I want to do it, and I'm making it to my standard, so I'm very happy with it. And it's, I'm blessed in that I can treat it that way. I'm not a 22-year-old trying to break into the business with my cute butt and, and be able to be a performer. I can't be a performer in a regular way. And that's usually a lot of times how music gets promoted, I think. But I can still make it my way, and yet that allows me to enjoy it without seeking necessarily a fan base per se and yet i've had people who seem to enjoy it from they surprise me when they do where they come from or who they are <laughs> but uh, frequently they're like me there are people um, in their 40s and 50s uh, every now and then i'll get a fan who's young but it'll be the same kind of fan who's who says wow i just discovered the 70s and wow there was some good music then you know and i'm like oh yeah there, there was but you never and- know where that search comes from and there's an aspect here, and I think this this ties over to a lot of people in the baby boomer world. Inside of your success in business, and music has always been something that's been with you, mm-hmm. but inside of your success in business and the numerous ventures that you've had, it's not letting that go. I think that's something where when people say, oh, I'm, I'm feeling old or the idea of regrets... There is that, and I mean, it ties into your your taglines with musically, you, a, a renaissance man aspect about it, the happiness in your life that it's not not needing something to be a chart topping success, but something to supplement, complement, embellish the life that you want to lead. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't I don't know how I feel about actually saying some of the things I want to say. Sometimes I was always a fly on the wall as a kid. Uh, I, I like people watching. Just like watching a train wreck or, you know, you watch an ass car for the wrecks, you know, watching people be themselves. I've always been a people watcher and I've been a fly on the wall. But at some point, if you're a fly on the wall and you observe and you pay attention and you, you learn from other people's mistakes and you make a few yourself, somewhere on the line you want to say something. And no matter how incredulous that may be, at some point a fly on the wall really ought to speak. And that's kind of uh, what's happening sometimes with my music. Uh, a lot of times I'll tell a story in a song that is something I witnessed or something I saw that was either artistic or motivating or it, it made me feel something. And usually that'll wind up into a song. But the same thing happens when I try to think about writing now. You know, I'm writing about things that I saw or that I was part of that I learned from. Or they were entertaining or they were just downright silly but fascinating in a strange way so it 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 still ties in i mean from and i'm about to go in and ask you about a little bit more about the past but songwriting performing recording for you it's a part of the greater whole it's experiences you've had in other places that allow you to write what you write or record what you record or create how you create Mm -hmm. And I think that people lose that. I think that there are a lot of people and other baby boomers that I speak to where once I get to this point, once I retire, once I do this, once, once, once. Then I'm going to do this thing that I've always been dreaming about, but I never did. Why not now? Yeah, I don't don't understand those folks. I know at times it's uh, financial constraints. You know, obviously when you're getting married and having kids, you're not going to necessarily spend the money to climb the Matterhorn. But if your big, long dream was to become a sailor, I had always been a sailor, but somewhere on the line I wanted to sail bigger uh, sailboats. 
Well, somewhere on the line, I made that sacrifice. You know, I sold the motorcycle, and instead, I bought the boat, and and I did what I wanted to do. I think there's a lot of boomers who have they want to get in touch with their inner child, you know, their childhood dreams. And sad but true, the American way in the 1970s and 80s was very much about getting ahead, saving up, making sure your parents thought you were a success. And frequently, it was a sellout. There's been times in my life where I felt like I was selling out a little bit. I wasn't living up to artistic talents that I seemed to enjoy having. And But you couldn't stop it. I still was writing songs. I was still writing things. I just didn't try to publish. But And that for anybody, and, and regardless of whether it's music, it's art, it's sculpture, it's writing, it's anything, mm-hmm. maybe you don't get three hours to sit there and start penning your autobiography. But if you had three minutes to write down a couple notes and you did something inside of that day, I'm not, and this is in no way life coaching, uh-huh. but the concept of these small moments of playing your guitar okay, you're not going to climb the Matterhorn, but is there a local hike where you can get away for 30 minutes or an hour? Yeah, it's just the, that ability. Every great journey starts with just one small step, and then it leads to another and another. But if you never take that small step, then you never go anywhere. And we've turned into there's this society, it seems in many ways, that if this I This is a pretty deep conversation. Thing, I know. <laughs> <laughs> if I can't do this big thing, then I'm just not going to do it. Or not do it right now, and then half the time it just passes by. And one of the things that I've, I've seen about you with, with your music and the ways that you've worked to market it and what you create, and then in aspects of flying and aspects of sailing, it's these small pieces in the middle of a busy, crazy life with kids, with a, with a daughter going to school, with, I mean, all the things that happen around you. And, and I remember, I mean, since knowing you and hearing all these projects inside and outside of music there's always an anchor even if it's just the lightest anchor that's tied back to an aspect of creativity and the love of what you want to do whether it's a priority whether it's secondary and I think that's something that people need to look at as a whole baby boomers in all ages and and tying back to the title of this why someone should listen to you because the examples of what you set not just in the success of your business or the creativity you have in your music but and I've used the word a lot the array of who you are what you are and how they each complement themselves yeah I'm Joseph's Technicolor kid in a way I was talking to a producer of mine up in Pennsylvania and we were having a conversation late at night after a session and we got to discussing death and how people visit graves after death and whether or not they visit memorialization spots and things like that. And at one point, I just blithely mentioned, well, I used to be involved with the cemetery funeral home business, and I watched couples visiting the graves. And he stopped. He was just absolutely stunned. He's known me three and a half years now. We've recorded 48 songs together. And he had no clue, apparently, that I had an involvement with the cemetery funeral home business. And he was like, that's just so cool that you've done that and then it kind of made me think well gee whiz that was not necessarily the most successful thing in my past but it was it touched me and I was very much uh, enamored with that business for a while and I learned a lot I mean you hang around people that are dealing with funerals and the loss of tragic death when it occurs to a child or families who had a sudden tragedy and then now 20 something years later I'm talking to this 25 year old kid who's dealing with death issues and my perspective was unique to him and it was somewhat bolstered by the fact that no I did not just become a stockbroker or just become 
this one thing. And sad but true, I've, I've been blessed with a lot of business experiences. Not all successful. You know, I've had a good couple of glaring failures. Uh, you try to fail gracefully, you know, when you're on your way, if you're in a business model that's dying. But uh, even, <laughs> even how to do that, you know, I actually, I wound up counseling someone one time whose business was dying. And he had employees and family members that was that were attached to him, and he was asking me on, "Gee whiz, Ed, I know you failed once miserably with grace. You know, how would you suggest I go down in flames on this one?" You know, <laughs> and uh, sad but true, you, you live and learn. But I don't think there's any nine-year-old kid out there who has a dream of being creative or being artistic, who, when you ask him, "What are you going to be doing when you're 50?" He'll give you an answer that says, oh, gee whiz, I'm going to still be wishing I could do this, or I'm going to still be wishing I had done that. When you're 9 or 10 years old and you're full of it, you you know, have all these dreams. And a lot of times there's a lot of kids running around who haven't, who still haven't done it yet. And that's just so sad. And then there's a situation like you where that little kid is still there. It's Maybe it's not the prevalent thing, mm-hmm. but it's still there. We're going to jump a little bit more into Ed's background, some of these businesses, success, and maybe that glaring failure if you'll share it with us right after this message about e-signs e-signs makes high quality signs with low prices quick turnaround and fast shipping banners yard signs magnetic signs and more produce substantially cheaper faster and easier than your local sign shop now the banner barons goof proof guarantee best return policy in america we're not happy if you're not happy inspect your signs immediately upon delivery and if they don't meet your high expectations call us and we'll make it right we'll reprint your order even if the mistake was yours now e-signs makes it easy design and order your signs online with a few easy clicks 24 hours a day from your computer or upload your own design Use our custom clip art and background or upload your own logo or photos. Remember, eSign saves you money. You can compare the prices to your local sign shop and save big. In most cases, you'll save more than 50%. And anyone who uses the promo code WAITWHAT will receive 10% off their order. So again, promo code, promo code at eSigns.com, WAITWHAT, that's 10% off your order. So remember, eSigns where everyone saves on signs. Okay, Ed, so this isn't the autobiography or the audiobook yet, but I'm sure there'll be an audiobook for your autobiography. Give <laughs> if us you the- have anything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> Cross promote, baby. <laughs> Give us the condensed the condensed history, sort of a, a line item of these businesses, what, what you did. I, I mean, I, I know we could fill up four episodes with it, but just to showcase... This this Renaissance businessman, creative artist, musician. Let's just let's list it out here. <laughs> well, you know, you don't want to do it chronologically because that's no fun. But <laughs> I, uh, on the one hand, you could say, "Gee whiz, I'm Ivy League trained," which means I went off to one of those big, expensive schools where they try to indoctrinate you into a whole bunch of horse crap that doesn't help at all. I got a degree in psychology there and a lot of economics underpinnings, but then. Uh, once I got out of school, then I joined Life and got my head handed to me. I got a job in a citrus harvesting and caretaking operation, which means basically I was doing everything from digging holes to fertilizing trees and uh, dealing with payroll. I became a truck driver, so I drove the trucks. Uh, that was a lot of fun. You learn how to cuss when you hang around truck drivers. 
I, uh, I did not get very good at it, but I did some welding and I learned how to do some machine work and some carpentry. And then from there, uh, because of our, my family was blessed with a few businesses my grandfather had pretty much founded over his career. But it was very diverse, mainly here in Florida, but everything from tourist motels at the beach to uh, automobile dealerships, uh, new car dealerships and used. Uh, Also, the cemetery business I mentioned, uh, which was a huge, wonderful property in a very rich area. So it was not just like a graveyard you imagine, you know, on the side of the road in Alabama somewhere. It was a a monstrously well-run funeral home and cemetery. So I learned quite a few things there. I did dig a few graves. I witnessed the embalming of a body. Uh, Interesting. My previous pre-med training at Duke uh, made it a little easier for me to be in the presence of some interesting stuff. (laughs) I was also involved with uh, property management, uh, real estate company. So we uh, later when Citrus died in our area of Florida, we became developers. So I was involved with property development. And uh, that included everything from turning dirt into parking lots to building multi-story buildings. Uh, it also included uh, renovating old. I was passionate about renovation in downtown. Historic buildings was something I did, which is a slightly different. You know, Fixing a 100-year-old building is a lot different than building a new one. Also, uh, Briefly, I uh, was involved with some venture capital work where we lent money to smart young men with business ideas. That's where some of the failures come from. You, know, you can't be in venture capital without making a mistake. <laughs> but the returns on the ones that do succeed are usually more than compensatory. That's how I wound up involved in the nightclub business and uh, restaurant business. I had an investment interest in management for a restaurant. And also, uh, at one time, it was the largest freestanding nightclub east of the Mississippi River. But I don't believe it holds that title anymore. Uh, we used to have a honky-tonk country western nightclub here in the Tampa Bay area. And it was a dream come true in many ways. It was a great facility. But I was involved with uh, managing that, which it brings along a lot of entertainment. You know, you deal with a whole bunch of inebriated rednecks who are having trouble finding their next girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) then it it turns into interesting security issues as the night goes on i learned a lot about uh, law enforcement and security there but so too uh, i love the honky tonk business that was a lot of fun i'm no longer in that now but i'm still friends with the former owners that i uh, ventured with so that's kind of a a quick down and dirty i've been married i have children a wonderful, happy family now. And I guess all the way along the line, I was always writing songs and always sailing. Uh, I first flew an airplane in 1984, and now I do it for fun. But I like to do it upside down now, so it's a little different. Than, yeah, but I, that's the down I appreciate dirty. those invites, but I'm still uh, yeah. all about the two feet on the ground. <laughs> you know, I've learned with people when it comes to taking a ride in an airplane, when you get these kids, you know, and their parents bring them out, hey, can you take little Johnny up? Uh, they call that the Young Eagle program. Uh, we always try to take children for free. But I've learned there's only two types of 12-year-old kids. A, the ones who really, really, really want to go. And B, the ones who really, really, really don't want to go. (laughs) And, you know, the parents never know. They think, oh, Johnny wants to go, Johnny wants to go. But typically, there's those who want to do it, who've always had that feeling of I could fly, I want to fly. And then there's those who say, I want my feet on the ground now. Don't, don't, they won't even get on a stepladder. 
that's just my two cents on that. But they're pretty much you've only got the two camps. You know, it's it, it's interesting, and in, in, of course we could talk about this for hours. But when you talk about the nightclub business, and then you go into the idea of what you learned about law enforcement, mm-hmm. the uh, the thing that I hope certain listeners and, and younger listeners building businesses that it's not just okay, you're going to hire someone to take care of X, or you're going to hire someone to take care of Y. You seem like the type of person, I know you're the type of person with your fingers in everything and wanting to know what's going on. Yes, you'll have people and you have many people that work for you, uh-huh. but wouldn't you say the greatest sense that you can have, while not necessarily being an expert in certain areas, is to learn or make yourself well aware of all the, what, what do you want to say, cogs in the wheel? <laughs> yeah, just, you know, there's two kinds of boat captains, I think. There's those who know how every single thing on the boat works. And then there's those who don't really know how anything works, but they're just good at commanding other people. I think the best boat captains are usually the ones who have been in the engine room. They've been in the bilge. They've been in the mess hall. They've actually had to do a great many of the jobs beneath them. And uh, it's not to say they're the only type. You can, you know, I'm sure there's an aircraft carrier captain somewhere who probably is not a pilot. There are plenty of aircraft captains who don't know how the nuclear reactor works, but in general, I think the best captains for a complex systems are the ones who have a broad knowledge of how to make it work. And that way they can be sympathetic for their employees and they can bring the best out of their people. And if you get a rotten apple on the ship, you'll know it. And you'll understand they're a rotten apple and you'll throw them overboard, which sometimes you have to do. We're going to be following this podcast we're going to have Tuesday there'll be the photo supplement Wednesday there's going to be a video a video that I'm probably going to go after with Ed right after this uh, talking a little bit about the venture capital investor side you hear a lot of people that explain this is what you need to do to get an investor I think we're going to do a little short tidbit with Ed of saying what he needs to see and this is not to solicit Ed in any ways. It's much more the idea of... Well, and I'm peculiar that way, too. I'm sure there's, there's guys who probably do it differently. But uh, the things that would stand out to me... And I think the things that stand out to you are important to be heard in, in that sense of experiencing so many things. I know that when I get involved in different projects, you know, I look for certain things. I've, I've, from my experiences, from, from the array of the best albums, the worst albums, even even now switching over to more of the branding and watching businesses and going, wow, you really have one of the most outstanding products I've ever seen. Your marketing is non-existent. No one will ever hear of you. <laughs> but I can relate to that sometimes when it comes to music. You know, you can make the best song in the whole wide world, the one you're most happy with, and it'll hear crickets if you don't try to promote it somehow. You don't try to get people to accidentally stumble into it. It's fascinating. And these people that are still in that Kevin Costner, you know, that, that, that field of dreams of how well, I built it. Oh, God, Laura's. <laughs> if I build it, they will definitely not come unless they figure out that it's there. And that's sad but true. Now, this autobiography may be... And look at that backward. We were just talking the other day, a friend of mine, about the machine shops in our local area that do excellent engine rebuilding work on mm-hmm. old cars. And the, the mantra is, oh, I know so-and-so. He's got the best machine shop. It's out on such-and-such such a road. When was the last time you used him? Oh, three years ago. And you go out there, and that guy's gone. But was he the best? Yes. And then you hear, and they just, their business model doesn't last very long because they may have an excellent product, incredible craftsmen on site, and yet they're not marketing. All they're doing is doing their job back in the back, and they're not getting the word out. And their business comes and goes. Every five years, you get a new one. 
And it's a shame. I've got a motor in one of my vehicles right now that was built by a shop that's no longer in business. It's unfortunate. It's funny. I've, I've found that as I've switched into other businesses or, you know, gone into more of the wider scale, some of the, the clients that can afford the marketing, it's the opposite in the sense of you, you have that one extreme of they just they don't know how to market. They aren't marketing themselves. Or there's the other side. They're marketing too much money in the wrong ways. I, yeah. I looked at this one guy. Inefficiency and... Yeah, $120,000 a oh. year on social media advertising. And I'm saying, okay, now, oh, this is working great. Well, no, but you also have television and radio ad buys. You're being suckered in for over $100,000 to someone that's not really showcasing proof of concept or returns. They're feeding off of the TV. And I'm coming in saying, let me sit down with you. Let's talk about how you can trim this budget down to maybe, you know, 12000 no, no, this, this is this is good and this is working, and it's it's so funny. It's the opposite side of I have to spend. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned that when we renovated an old building in my small town where I live, it's outside of the Tampa, but our rental rates are cheaper than people who have their business in Tampa. And it was interesting when we first had the sites ready for rental, we were advertising and stealing tenants who otherwise were in Tampa. And part of our pitch was, okay, which would you rather do? Pay twenty five hundred a month for two rooms in Tampa. Or pay eight hundred a month for two rooms in Plant City, and spend the other thousand bucks and change on advertising. And it was fascinating. You know, it's still a local phone call from one town to the other. You weren't costing yourself anything in long distance. All of their clients were digital, so it's not like they had to drive to where you are. But the idea of gee whiz, save a little money on the posh office no one ever sees. And spend it on the marketing and the business cards or the print ads or the getting out and being active in the local chamber of commerce, whatever you got to do to get the word out about your title company or your mortgage company. And it was funny how many people, when they made the move, they were like, oh, my God, I had no idea I was wasting so much money on physical inventory and not marketing. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just now, later on, when we filled our building up, we started raising our rates, of course, and I stuck it to it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's, it, it's insane. I mean, I, I'm blown away when I, you know, and people say, well, you need to do this or that whole thing. I need to spend $10,000 on a music video. You could do a music video, a live performance video, spend $100 and then spend 9900 mm -hmm. on different ways to promote it. Or the, I mean, we're, we're not going to get into this and this one, but the likes and the follows and the views, it's, it's all crazy. It all ties, though. It all circulates. Still, it comes back to this. You might not have access to Ed Werner, but you might have access to an Ed Werner, somebody in your life. Somebody that has experienced, uh, oh, what was that the word of the day the other day? Plethora oh. <laughs> of, of the upsides, of the bad sides. They've seen, they've seen businesses where they've worked with them with the tightest budget. They've seen businesses where they've worked with the biggest budget. They've dealt with all the different types of egos. They've dealt with all the different types of education levels. They've dealt with all the different types of peoples and personalities as a whole. They've seen things come. They've seen things go. They've continued, though, an overall level of consistency in some level of success. They're involved in the things that they want to be. Even if maybe they're not a famous musician, it's a thing they do on the side and still promote. Maybe they're not a famous author. Maybe they're not. Well, that whole thing about mentoring is kind of what you're thinking right. about. And yet one of the best things I like when I'm looking for someone to give me advice is someone who's not 
perfect. And by that, I mean if they're batting a 1,000, then they're just one massive strikeout away from having an ego crisis. <laughs> Whereas if they're batting 450 or 500, now we're in the major leagues and they're good. They're intellectually honest about the times they whiff out. They're intellectually honest about the times they, you know, they grounded into a double play. But they're honest about it. And that, that integrity is so huge. But a lot of times you'll find these people who are on the rising star of success. And I met a lot of them before the economic crash in 2008. Here, here in Florida, it was really horrible. I mean, you could throw darts at property in Florida and make money. Well, everybody thought they were an expert in real estate. By, by the time 2008 came around, everybody thought, oh, gee whiz, you can't lose in Florida. You know, Well, quite a few of them filed bankruptcy within two years, and they were in deep, 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 deep doo-doo. And the banks that lent them all that money wound up being in trouble and regulated. I'd rather have that person mentoring me who's who's batting in that 500 range, that 700 range. They're, they're two out of three, and they'll be upfront about the one time that they absolutely slid into home six inches short, and they were out. And <laughs> that's that, those guys are the ones who, and gals, those are the ones who really, their intellectual honesty can be so strong and mentoring. And if a lot of times if you talk to an expert and you find out that they're just bragging about all their successes and they don't have a single whopping failure to talk about, you're going to be the whopping failure to have. <laughs> and you'll be the one that later on they're explaining. Either they're lying to you or they truly have never had one. And guess what? You know, a 35-year-old expert who's never had a failure has not faced life yet. He's never charged the machine guns under fire. And until you've done that, I don't, I don't really want that kind of mentor. But when you're describing those mentors, those people who've been around the block, part of it is, you know, having augered in and gone down in flames at least once. It's not perfection. It's, I mean, and, and that's, that's where, again, it, it ties back. It's finding, it's finding your Ed Werner. And while this is going to be an autobiography, whether it comes next year, two years, might be two and a half years down the line, we'll see. I may write it and never do anything with it. That'd be fun. There you go. And then maybe <laughs> it just stays there. But it's a, it's a book to buy, not because he's famous or not because he's not famous, but the array of experiences the intelligence that came from it, the decisions and the directions he's taken since, that's someone to listen to. And coming full circle here and wrapping it up, do you really want to listen to that person that's never failed or that person that's claimed to have never failed and isn't substantially grounded enough to be able to admit a failure and see that as a positive? Let me, let me drop a thought on that if I could. Please. One of the things that made me want to think about writing one was because right now no one on the planet wants me to. And that's really comforting in a way. I just read William Shatner's autobiography, and I loved it. And yet he's already a super-duper star with millions and millions of fans and lots of people who are depending on him one way or another, and he has an image to somewhat protect. He wrote it with great honesty, and I admire that. It was very entertaining. If you haven't read it, go read it. It's fun. But it made me think, if I were to wait until the day when I'm no longer a fly on the wall, but I'm actually someone whose opinion matters... If that's the moment at which I try to write something of an autobiographical nature, I'll be tainted. I'll already be thinking about people who care. You can't help but be affected by having a fan base. Whereas now, if, if there's anything worth saying, I think I would say it with more, I don't want to say with more integrity. Hopefully I have some already. <laughs> but with more absolute fearlessness. Because truly, if I wrote it right now, my wife would read it. My kids would read it. Maybe my mother would. Other than that, 
no one would read it. And that's, that frees you up as a writer, I think, to be a lot more open and honest about it. I think I'd read it. That's one of the... Well, <laughs> no, I get, I get what you're saying. You know, we, we were talking on the I'd phone. I'd read yours too, buddy, if you want to write yours. <laughs> we, we were talking on the phone the other day in, in making a comparison. I mean, for Ed's to-be-written or questionably to-be-released autobiography, if you get the chance, download or rent Sting's Bring on the Night. It was, uh, I think it was 85 or 86, right. and he had left the police. They said, just can't go any higher than three nights sold out at Madison Square Garden. Oh, and it's going into the jazz hole now. He's getting into the right. jazz side of it. And there was nervousness, and you had uh, you had all these cats that were top-level jazz and fusion cats coming in. Daryl Jones, who's the bass player uh, for the band, for that album, that was I, I felt the most for him because not only is he coming into a situation, but he's playing bass for a bass player. Who had uh, a yeah. hell of an ego? <laughs> yeah, Daryl's with the Rolling Stones now. Side note, um, and then you had—I mean, Omar Hakim. I mean, it was an amazing. Kenny Kirkland, who, who's since passed, um, was on keys. Uh, the, the the backing vocalist appear in that Shadows of uh, was it Shadows of Success, Shadows of Spotlight, the backup singer documentary mm. that came out. It's it, it's. It's fun to watch. It's fun music, but it's also an interesting story about a successful person trying to go into a different road. He reinvented himself in many ways. And he's, he's done it a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and you've got to hand it to him or somebody to do that. And that's one of those people you were talking about. You're never too old, you know, but or when you're young, you don't do it. But then they never do it. They never seem to get around to it. And you look at somebody like him. He's reinvented himself several times. He had the moxie. Age didn't matter. It was passion, drive, and a calling almost. We were talking about failures, oh, yeah. and one thing that I am a, a man of faith, and I've learned with uh, with failures. I remember one of my business failures was horrible, and yet several of the employees who worked for me were fantastic people. And so I rode the ship into the iceberg as best I could, and I communicated with them so they could jump off into the lifeboat before you know the captain went down with his ship. But... I remember years later, I ran into one of those employees, and uh, he made a comment to me. He said, I can't thank you enough. You kept my family alive as you were tanking, and you were the best boss I ever had. It was a huge compliment. Here was a guy who worked for me in a business that failed, and he rode it with me almost all the way into the iceberg. And to have that compliment come back, and it gave me a different perspective about failure. It, you know, on the one hand, a lot of people say that. Oh, you learn from your failures. You know? But also remember, there's people associated with you that you may not even realize. I've thought about this a time or two with uh, music. Sometimes I've recorded music with people I no longer associate with. And I don't have any regrets. For all I know, that song that we did that didn't do squat might have put food on his table. He might have had a friend that he is associated with who got an extra free meal at dinner at his house one night when... Their dad kicked him out or who knows what. But there's something good that's happening around, even in failures. And I've learned to appreciate that. And it makes it a lot easier for me to sleep at night now when I remember the tons and tons and tons of boatloads of cash that I spent in that business that went down the drain. I'd love to have that money back. But I, when I ran into that fellow and he made that comment to me, and I remember thinking, I'm actually proud of what I did there. That's a strange thing to find out. I'm actually proud that I rode that, that failure Hopefully with honor, I'm thinking. And there's a way to honorably fail. 
There's an integrity in that. I, I completely hear what you're saying. I'm not bragging about it. I feel lucky that I was able to do it. A lot of times, you know, you can fail so miserably you don't have that option. You know, you just get torpedoed and straight to the bottom, clunk. But well, we were talking about the mistakes. I mean, I've uh, some mistakes I made in music and in television, and, and, and the ego got the best of me. But that was the last time it did for that particular given situation of not repeating that failure. And had I not learned from a couple of the, I mean, the, a couple of the biggest ones, I don't know where I might not make that mistake again. Yeah, it'll sure change how you handle budget uh, budgetary anomalies. Absolutely. <laughs> they, they shine a lot differently now when I see something getting offline on a budget. It's not like I'm a slave to budgets. Of course, you have to be malleable. <laughs> But every now and then there'll be a little red light that'll go off on your dash panel there. And it's like, in the past, I might have had ego enough to say, well, that's all right. I'll, you know. We'll I, just throw some more. <laughs> just, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. No. So. I, I have no, I mean, I'm the same way. I don't, I don't regret. I mean, I've had a couple of people ask me uh, about a specific failure and do I regret it? I regret the result. Mm-hmm. I don't regret it happening. And because of that failure, though it cost me a lot, it helped me be better for others. And this is again, and we're gonna we're gonna come in and tie it in here. This is why you need to listen to Ed Werner about music, about business and life. And if you can't listen to Ed, try to find that Ed Werner that you can listen to, and not the life coach that's spewing out motivation with no information, giving you promises, and basically explaining about your career. Yeah, metaphorically, they're like the the street walking hooker with the high heels and the, all exactly. the makeup on and everything. But the truth is, frequently those kind of people are really just marketing prostitutes. Yeah, and if you need to pay someone, if you have a dream and you need to pay someone to motivate you to follow your dream, maybe it's time to get a new dream. So find your Ed. Find the person that you can listen to. Find someone that has succeeded as much as they've failed. They find their way in their life to continue to do the things that they love the most that could have nothing to do with their careers. Go look at cats like Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam, who's showing up at every Cubs game right now. Yes, that singer of Pearl Jam is a baseball fan. He's also, a lot of people don't know this, he's an avid surfer. It's it's the example of being that renaissance person, being that person that's experiencing all these different elements of love, of success, of failure, to make them the wholest, truest, most educated most experienced person that could be most helpful to you. Ed, do you have any closing thoughts here? No, I've had a good time talking with you, and I look forward to hearing it. I look forward to reading your autobiography when you write. <laughs> we'll see if there's another book in me. I'm not so sure myself. Thank you guys for listening. Again, when you're looking for someone to listen to, when you're looking for a mentor, vet them, look at what they've done. Stop just buying into the simple over-sugared uh, Halloween candy answers and look to someone that can actually help you, lead you, guide you, and direct you in the direction that you actually want to go in. Wait, Wait what? what? Really? really? Okay. Okay. At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, 
you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout D.C. to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool.